All right, good evening, everybody. I have a cold, so there'll be a lot of... I apologize ahead of time. It's Well, yeah, it is sobbing. All right. You saw the, hopefully the ticket signs up. I know I keep mentioning it, but it's kind of like four of us are trying to sell a thousand tickets from the board of the source, so I got to mention it as often as I can and uh, just let you know it's available. So the tickets are out there. The prices are out there. You can just drop it in the box and take your tickets if I'm not there. Um, and if you wanted to use, whatever, it's, it's there. Okay, I mentioned it. I feel, I feel like I'm okay. I believe we're in, what, 12 and 13, right? Romans 12 and 13, 13 and 14. All right. That's what I meant to say. 13 and 14, 13 and 14. We're going to do both. All right. Paul here, as he writes to the Romans, and last week we got to that place where Paul um, is saying, okay, now, because of everything I've said, I want you to live like Christians, basically. You know, um, We had to know our position first. He wanted to make sure everybody understood doctrinally where they stood with God. We, we went over that in great detail. So that living for Christ wasn't to gain salvation or to improve salvation or your relationship with God, but it was simply out of gratitude for what God had done for you and the position that you currently hold. Okay, and so that Paul had to make sure that was established so that our motives were pure. I'm staying with God not because I have to, but because I love him because he loved me first, basically. And so everything we do, if it's not from that standpoint, um, from our standing with God, secure in Christ, it becomes tainted a little bit. It turns into something for us. I'm doing this for you so I can gain something. Um, you know, I, I donated to the Texas fund in hopes that I get a great return on it in heaven, you know, kind of thing. Instead of because you loved the people and you saw that they were hurting and they needed some help, you thought, well, if I give them $1,000 now, maybe that's $10,000 later on. Sort of a, and honestly, it's like a karma thing. Actually, it's not really a biblical thing at all. You think it's going to come back to you, you know. And, and God doesn't want us to do that way. He doesn't want us to think that way or work like, because he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He says, well, maybe if I'm nice to them, maybe they'll be nice to me. No, he just loves us because he created us. And he sent his son to die for us because he loves us. And he wants us to know that, that while you were still enemies, I sent my son to die for you. And so positionally, we understand where we are. We're complete. We're saved in Jesus Christ. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've trusted him for your salvation, you are covered. You are taken care of. Your salvation is secure. And so then he moved into, now let's, let's look like it. Let's look like his kids. If we've been adopted into the family of God, let's look like we've got his last name. And that's where we continue on tonight. Verse 13, or verse 113. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resist the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Paul makes a, a connection between the government and God. 
They're placed there by him. In other words, you can't separate the two. If you're not being uh, in subjection to the government that God placed over you, you're therefore not subject to God. That's the idea. Remember Jesus said the two commandments? You can sum up the whole law in the two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest. And then Paul later on whittles it down to one. Love your neighbor. That's it. Well, what about love, love God? What Paul was saying was you can't distinguish between the two. If you're loving your neighbor, that's how you show your love to God. And so he's doing the same thing here. He's bringing it a little you know, close to home. Look, you can't be a Christian who loves God and hate the authority that God's placed over you. And of course, we always struggle with that. I think we all struggle with authority at times. Um, I know I do and did. Um, some people... It's just really hard. And you try to learn your lesson and try not to be that hard person to be submissive to. You know, that's one of the things we share in marriage counseling is, look, guys, you are the leader of your home. You do need to lead with wisdom, take the authority. All the responsibility rests on your shoulders. And your wife needs to come under that authority and submit to that authority. But don't make it hard on her. You can make it really easy for your wife to submit to your authority if you're like Christ, who wraps himself in a loincloth and washes her feet. That's pretty easy to submit to that, you know? And so likewise, Paul here makes the connection between the authorities over them. And remember who he's talking about this time. Let's give a little context here. He's talking about Nero. Remember Nero? Does anybody remember history and world history and Nero? Not a... Not a great guy. You think we've had some bad leaders in the last few years. <laughs> um, um, we, we'd be voting for these guys over Nero, you know. Maybe you did. They can repent. Uh, just kidding. You can, I'm just kidding. But these authorities have been placed there by God. Now, here's the thing. Let, let me hit the other side of this, so too. As he tells us to submit to the authorities placed over them, remember he's talking about, again, Nero in Rome. Not a whole lot of say in who's in authority over you. We have say. We have a vote. We have an opportunity. We're, as Christians, to be salt and light in this earth. That doesn't mean we, we check our opinions at the voting box. Ah, well, I'm not going to bring my Christianity into the voting box. No, you absolutely do. We absolutely have a responsibility. I think oftentimes our country gets the leader we deserve, that we have asked for, secular-wise, and so on. And at times, God is gracious and gives us leaders that are a blessing, that are for us, not against us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility. So although we do subject ourselves to the governing authorities because God's placed them over us, we have a, we have a direct influence in that in our country. We have a responsibility to vote. The responsibility to hold our Christian values and take them to the ballot box. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. God says, I want you to be light and salt. That's everywhere, including there. I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer, because some would argue, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you should do that. I don't know if you should bring religion and government should never mix. I don't know. I think the Christians would have been a lot happier if Nero had gotten voted out and somebody who was on their team got voted in. And you think about the Lord's Prayer. The example that he gave us to pray is very important. Sometimes we say it 
quickly because we know it. We've memorized it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And here's the important part, on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our hope. That's our prayer. I want government that's like heaven here on earth. I want to do that. I want, I want to have that. And so I think we vote accordingly, and I think we raise up leaders accordingly. It's very important. Now, let me go one step further before we move on in the text, because some will say, well, are you teaching kingdom now theology? Maybe you don't know what that is. Good. Forget you ever heard that word. Kingdom now theology believes that you have to make the world ready for Christ. It's our responsibility to get everything in order so that he can come. And he's just waiting on us. And so we've got to establish his rule and authority here on earth before he'll show up again. And so it all depends on us making it happen. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have prayed a prayer since we were little kids that we would like it, God's will, here on earth, just like it is in heaven. And if we have the opportunity to do that, whether that's being kind to my wife or being kind to my husband or raising my kids to be godly kids, or whether that's going to the ballot box and voting in Christians, that's our responsibility. But we in no way can make this place worthy of Jesus Christ. He does when he shows up. He establishes his rule and reign. And so when Paul writes this to them, he is saying, look, you can't be running around saying you're Christians and that you love people, but you're being rebellious at the same time. We don't want to see that. It's not a good testimony. It's not a good example. And so don't. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, God's not happy with that. God's never called us to be rebellious against the authority, ever. Never told us to do that. We can pray. We can hope. We can listen. We can obey. Um, but we're not called to do that. We're not called to be that rebellious person because He's experienced that. Understand that's what happened in heaven when Satan rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him. They rebelled against the authority that was there. They disagreed with it. They couldn't submit to it. And so Satan says, I'm going to make myself like the Most High. And a third of the angels thought he might be able to do that. I'm filling in the gaps. We don't have all that information, but that's what it appears to have done, according to Scripture. And so God knows that rebellion and he's seen that before, and he doesn't want us to do that. If, if we desperately want things to change, then we're to humble ourselves and we're to pray. And in every opportunity we get to be light and salt, we are that. And things change around us. So, I just wanted to settle that before we get into this AC. We're just supposed to submit to whoever's in front. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, we, if we have a say, if we have a place, if we have the ability, we're required to do so. We're called by God to do so. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We gave um, the Merrimill Public Safety a plaque that said that. When we gave them their gift cards for Christmas last year, we went ahead and gave them a plaque. That, I don't know if they ever were able to put that up or not because it's scripture and all that, but that's what we gave them. Be afraid, you know. I wanted to encourage, we wanted to encourage the public safety, you know. We understand who you're here for and who you're here to, you know, protect and serve. 
Um, and we hope that you'd continue to do that. And we pray for them, that they'd have the strength to do that and eyes in the back of their head, basically, and that God would watch over them. And so we gave them a, a plaque that said this very scripture on it. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. That's the key. You don't want to do it just because you're afraid God's hammer is going to fall on your head. You want to do it because you want to, be, you want to look like his kids, you know? For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs uh, to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Give it out. It's okay. Again, I'm all for tax reform. But until it gets reformed, I'm going to pay whatever the responsible thing is for me to pay. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If I agree or disagree, that's what I do. Whose inscription is on this? Whose picture is on this coin, Jesus said? Then render under Caesar what's Caesar's. Apparently he owns it all. His face is on all of it. So give it to him. It's not ours. It's not yours. It's theirs. So give it back to them. It's okay. God always takes care of us. Whether we have to give more than we think we should or not. And so this is a good lesson for us. This is just practical Christian living. As long as you're here on this earth, continue... Can, Consider how short it is, the time period that you're here on this earth. Consider what you spend most of your life fighting and being angry about and being turned up inside. And God says, I'm freeing you from all of that. I don't want you to do that. I want you to render. I want you to submit. I want you to let, basically. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and then he goes through the ones that pertain to you and I, you know, across the aisle here, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there's any other commandment, all are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's all wrapped up in one. Paul's saying, I'm not writing you a new commandment. I'm telling you the, the summation of it. This is it. You're not loving them if you're committing adultery against them. You're not loving them if you're murdering them, obviously. You're not loving them if you're stealing their stuff. You're not loving them if, they're, if you're lying against them or bearing false witness behind their back. You're, you're not loving them if you covet. Um, and Paul knew something about covetous. Remember, that was the law that broke him. That was the law he couldn't do anything about. How do I stop my heart from wanting something that's not mine? It just happens. I can't prevent that. And so that was the one law that Paul couldn't keep. He could stop murdering. He could stop adultery. He, he could keep himself in check. But the covet one he couldn't touch because it was interior. It was inside. It was something God had to do. And so he brings that up. That's not loving your neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And you know, there's more to it than that. Just not doing something to somebody that might harm them isn't all of love, right? We also need to do things for people that shows our love. There's two sides of it. There's just not doing anything that would harm them. That's great. But then the other side of that is doing what they need, taking care of them, making sure their needs are met. Verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Paul's excited. He's looking around saying, I, it's been like years since Jesus saw. I mean, we've got to be so close to Christ coming back again. He, he lived like Jesus is coming back like now. And you guys are arguing about Nero, and you guys are worried about the police and your taxes. What are you thinking? You need to think about eternity. I mean, Christ could be coming back, and you could be arguing about something worthless. The church, all the way up through the scriptures, that as they're written, always expected Christ to return at any given time. They had no idea when he was going to come. They expected him the next day or that day. They lived like that, and that kept them in a place of purity, kept them in a place of uh, living for eternity and not living for now. I don't know about you, but I find it hard sometimes to live for eternity. I find it hard to keep my mind in that place all the time, and I don't. Oftentimes I think about the future. I think about years from now. I think about 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Where will I be? You know, will all my kids' weddings be paid for by then? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> elope. If any of my kids are listening, elope. I'll buy the ladder. <laughs> I'll strap it to the top of your car. I'm kidding. Um, kind of. <laughs> It's hard for me to think that Jesus is coming back tonight at the end of the Bible study, you know? But there is, there is no other prophecies that need to be fulfilled for that to take place. Everything's been fulfilled. Christ can come at any moment, and wouldn't this be a great night for him to come? You're all sitting right here in church, <laughs> you know? Did you see where I was as we get up into heaven? I was sitting right there. Sam, I was in the front row, God. I was in the front row. <laughs> But Paul expected, and look how, he, look how he words that. He's so, so emphatic. And do this, knowing the time. I mean, do this now. Do everything I just said right now. Do it. Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than, we, than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The, you know, the parable is they're always looking for the bridegroom to come. That was one of the Jewish you know, traditions in their, in their wedding. The bride would be ready and her handmaids would be ready, but they'd always be looking because it was always a secret. You know? How would you like that, ladies, never knowing when your actual wedding was going to take place? They're all dressed up and they're ready, but they couldn't sleep because pretty soon they come with torches and here come the guys. Oh, oh, it's tonight. The wedding's tonight. You know. Well, that little tradition is exactly how they wanted to, us to view Christ. Christ can come anytime, and we're the bride, the church, all dressed in white, ready to go, pure, ready for him, and we should always be looking out the window. He said he's coming with the clouds. Is it cloudy today? You know, always be looking for him. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I think this is an excellent scripture to go with Galatians 5, or the armor of God. I'm sorry, that's in Ephesians, isn't it? The armor of God. If you think about the armor of God, you know, the helmet of salvation, the bread, it's all Christ, it's all Jesus. And I think that's what, it goes right along with that. The helmet of salvation is our salvation is in Christ, the breastplate of righteousness, we wear the righteousness of Christ, and so on, the belt of truth, Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, 
Uh, Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news, and, and so on. The sword of the Spirit. Behold, in the volume of the book, I have come. It's all Christ. We simply put on Jesus. And that's what he says here. Walk that way. Put on light. Put on the armor of light. He considers light armor. Darkness is vulnerability. Makes you vulnerable. Light is a defense. Keeps you protected. And he calls us to that. There is something about that, isn't there? When you've walked righteously, when you've walked and you haven't sinned, and you lay your head down at the end of the night, and you put it on the pillow, and you're like, I've got a clear conscience. It was a good day. You know? There's something about that. You sleep better knowing that you shouldn't call somebody up and ask for forgiveness before you go to sleep. You know, When you've lived and walked the way you're supposed to walk, reflecting Christ on this earth, there's something that's uh, protective about that. It's hard for Satan, our enemy, to bring accusations against us. You don't have to battle with him. You don't have to agree with him quickly. You know, There's nothing more beautiful and more protective than walking in righteousness. And so he tells us to put that on. It's simply this, let us walk properly. It's expected. It's not, it's not supernatural. I mean, it is a work of the Spirit. Don't misunderstand me when we do the right thing, but it, it's, it's a, as a Christian, our walk in righteousness is supposed to be a natural walk. It's supposed to just be coming out of us. Of, of course I don't lust. Of course there's no lewdness. Of course there's not drunkenness and revelry. Of course there's not. There's no strife and envy. There's not supposed to be there in the Christian or between the Christians. So make sure none of that's on you, in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ is none of that. He's none of that. So put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't give it any room. Don't give your flesh room for that. Is it sin to do that? No. Is it safe to do that? No. It could lead to that. It's, it's a... It's, you're making provision for your flesh. You're giving your flesh opportunity. You know, Be careful. Guard yourself. Guard your heart. Put yourself in places where it won't happen. Don't put yourself in places where it might. Guard yourself. Make no provision for the flesh. He's just warning them, look, the time is short. It isn't that long for us to live righteously, to deny your flesh. You can do it. You know. Chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand." God is giving us permission to not worry about what we're doing. I mean, sin is obvious. Sin, we're supposed to call each other out. We're supposed to uh, exhort one another when it comes to sin. Rebuke even at times. But when it comes to doubtful things, we're supposed to let them go. We don't have to make sure. We're kind of, I don't mean to say we. I can be like that. I can look at someone's life and say, you know, I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know why they're not doing this. Ought to be doing this. Why don't you do that? Well, I am doing that. Why aren't you doing that? I don't know why you're looking at me even, you know? Who asked you to look at my life? I never even invited you to look at what I'm doing. Um, in other words, focus on your walk with the Lord. Then he uses a couple examples there. Some people might be vegetarians, and that's fine. 
That's up to you. But you can't be mad at people that are eating animals. You're not allowed to as a Christian. You're called against that. You're called to the carpet on that. You can't stand in righteousness saying, well, I don't eat anything with a face. You can't say that. I'm going to leave it at that. I could go into great, I get on a soapbox on that if I wanted to. But likewise, if I'm eating steak, I can't get mad at you for wanting a, a meat-like substitute. They do a pretty good joke on that. I like that. I don't know who does it, but he says, why, why do vegetarians always try to make their plants look like meat? <laughs> why has it got to be a veggie burger, you know, <laughs> a veggie hot dog or something like that? Why, it looks like you miss it. Anyway, that was mean. See, I did exactly what I'm not supposed to do, so don't do what I just did. It's kind of funny. If you're a vegetarian, you've got to laugh at that. You're like, you know, yeah, that's right. I make tofu into hot dog shapes. Why do I do that? Because <sighs> then you can choke it down easier. <laughs> I know. I know. Rebuke. See, my sister rebuked me there, and that's good. But I can't, I can't be upset with that. Go for it. Be a vegetarian. But, but do it as unto God. Do it because I feel a personal conviction about that and I'm not going to do that. Awesome. And then when we eat together and I know that about you and you know that about me, we're both bending over backwards to make sure neither of us offends one another. That's the idea. We're not looking across the table to see if you're going to offend me. I'm making sure that I'm not going to offend you. It's a whole different mindset and thought today. Isn't that funny how the world's gone that way. I don't want to get into a, a big, long thing, but look how worried we are about offending. You know, that's what they do. They look and see, are you, off- did you say something offensive to me? Did you say something offensive about me? Did you write, did you use the right pronoun with me? I don't know what pronoun to use. To be honest with you, I can't tell. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. So ask me about my pronoun. Those are the tags they wear now. Ask me what my pronoun is. So I'm supposed to walk up to people and say, what's your pronoun? What do you prefer to be called? Because I don't want to offend you. And you wear that tag because you want to make sure that everybody gets it right and nobody offends you. That's it's the exact opposite of what Christ is saying. I want to make sure that I don't offend you. And you should be worried about not offending me. Just like that. Just living that way. Raising your kids simply to be a blessing to those that are around. Not expecting the world to tolerate your kid's behavior. It's a whole different mindset. Well, why can't you just, he's just going to throw a fit here at Walmart for a little bit longer. He's about done kicking now. Okay, well, I can't hear myself think, you know. No, no, I'm, I'm to take my child out of the situation. I'm to make sure that my kids are a blessing to those that they're around. It's a, it's a different thought. And Paul's saying that. Look out for the other person. Love the other person so much that you don't want to offend them, that you don't want to hurt their feelings, that you don't want it to come in between your fellowship because your fellowship is in Jesus. It's not in plants. It's not in steak. It's not in pronouns. It's in Jesus. That's the idea. Who are you to judge another servant? Paul just brings it up. To his own master, he stands or falls. Who are we responsible to? I'm responsible to God. I'm responsible to Jesus. I'm responsible for the ministry that he's called me to, and I answer to God. That's what I do. Every single day, I'm called to that. And so are you. 
Every one of us is called to answer to God for the ministry that he's called us to, and that's it. I don't, none of you have to understand my ministry, and I don't have to understand your ministry. I don't have to get on board with your ministry, and you don't have to get on board with my ministry. We answer to God for our ministries. That's what we're called to do. Anyway, I struggle with that sometimes. Some people think that this ministry exists to support that ministry. No. No, this ministry exists to minister to the people of Maryville and the surrounding communities that need to be taught the Word of God or want to be taught the Word of God. That's what this ministry is for. It's not meant to support other ministries necessarily. They, they worship the same God that I do. God provides whatever he provides here, and that's what we use for the ministry that God's called us to do. Likewise, every ministry needs to be that way. They need to be responsible to God and ask God. And whatever God gives them, that's what they have to use. That's God's budget for them. That's it. Now, there are times when we do cross and we give and we bless because I think that's part of my ministry here, our ministry here. I think it's good for us to branch out and say, isn't this fun to help these people over here? Do you see how that's good? And that sparks something and we learn something from that and then we go do it in our own personal lives. But in no way do we shut the lights off here or close the doors here or stop doing what we're doing here so that some other ministry can thrive. That's not what we do. God hasn't called us to that. We answer to the Lord for our own. Everybody does. And so Paul's just making that point. You want to eat plants? Eat them as unto the Lord. You want to eat meat? Eat as unto, eat unto the Lord. And this is how he finishes up. He who observes the day... Okay, wait a minute. Uh, who are you to judge? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the key. We must worship on Saturdays. No, apparently you must worship on Saturdays. That's yours. That's not mine. The church started worshiping on Sundays way back in Acts 20. They started worshiping on Sundays because that's when Christ rose again. But by all means, worship on Saturday, but don't be mad at me when I worship on Sunday. And I'm not going to be mad at you when you worship on Saturday. The only time I get mad at people when they worship on Saturday is when they look down at me for worshiping on Sunday. That's when I have a hard time with it. That's when the rebuke comes out. But otherwise, hey, have at it. Got your Sundays off. That's cool. You know? And he builds on that. He doesn't leave it there. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. One man esteems one day above another. Another man esteems every day alike. In other words, Sunday is a holy day. I don't do any work on Sunday. That's the day I don't do anything. Awesome. Do it for God. But don't look out your window to see who isn't doing it your way. Because one person who believes that that's the Sabbath and nobody can do any work on the Sabbath, another person says, no, my Sabbath is in Jesus. Every day is the same. My, my whole week is a Sabbath. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is all Sabbath. And I esteem every day alike. I'm in a perpetual Sabbath. How about that? I'm better than you are. It's when we cross. It's when we don't like it that you're doing it that way. These are doubtful things. These are things that don't have to do with salvation. They have to do with tradition or they have to do with a personal conviction. They're not about, it's not about sin. We've got to be careful. 
about those things. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. Both are true. God, thank you. I got to get this deer. It's such a blessing for our family. And it's in the freezer. And boy, I didn't think we we're going to have any meat. There. I mean, not a lot of us say that anymore in this day and age, but used to more than we do now. Now I pray my blessing over high V meat. <laughs> thank you, God, for this wonderful selection I have, you know, of all this meat. But I give God thanks for it. And so we're supposed to look, and another person doesn't. They look at all those fresh fruits and vegetables. I can't believe the selection we have. This is amazing. My garden is just flourishing. I'm just going to live off vegetables this winter. And they give God thanks for it. That's awesome. Just give God thanks. I think that's the key. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. It's no longer us living for ourselves. We live for Christ. So if I'm living for Christ, how could I possibly be mad at you for eating plants? And how could you possibly be mad at me for eating meat? How could I possibly be mad at you because you want to worship the true and living God on Saturdays, and I want to worship the true and living God on Sundays? How could you possibly be mad at something like that? It's for God. Very important. He's calling us to peace. He's calling us to liberty. He's calling us to freedom. My kids are very different. Your kids are very different. Every one of them's d- different with a capital D. JC is not like Seth. Seth is not like JC. Bo is not like anybody. We're trying to figure this one out. He has one volume, and he has one testosterone level. I mean, he's just on all the time, loud. Jenny said that to me last night at the softball game. It was kind of funny. I'm yelling at Bo, telling him what to do and all this, and... And she goes, your voice echoes. <laughs> Be quiet, woman. She's right. I was just loud and obnoxious and kind of turkey jerky loud, you know, just this constant. We're all different. You know what? God loves that about you. He loves that. He loves your quietness. He loves your silence. He loves your meekness. He loves that. It's beautiful to him. He loves your... Sh- he loves it. Well, other people call it shy. You call it reserved. God loves that. You know? It took me a long time as a parent to try to not, I'm going to make that, you're going to not be reserved anymore. You're not going to, you're not going to be like that anymore. You're to figure it, you know. No, that's just what a great quality. Go to, go to the library. I'll call the different kind of books there are, you know. One's exciting, full of action. The other one's just, um, <laughs> Oh, I was trying to think of the name of that. What is it? Um, pride and Prejudice. <laughs> some are exciting, some are Pride and Prejudice. Um, which is still a pretty good, pretty good movie. Anyway, God loves that variety. I mean, you look at anywhere in, in the world, you, don't, you, didn't, you never see a wildflower, it's all yellow out in the mountains, or just all purple, or just all, it's just a a mix, you know, and and that's what brings the beauty, and God loves that, and he wants us to love that, it's okay, Um, it's okay that I'm loud and boisterous, I need to tone it down probably a lot, but he also loves a gentle, quiet spirit, he says it's very precious in his sight, a gentle, quiet spirit's very precious, so that's great, and appreciate that. 
For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die, die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's the difference. Don't make them fall. You know. Don't make them stumble. Now, you know, before you get excited, see, I'm supposed to judge. Well, read Paul's letters and understand he is fulfilling, not judging. So when he goes to the Galatians and says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? That's not judging. That's a fact. That's a correction. That's a rebuke. So when he says, Don't judge, understand what he means. Um, they're going to answer to Christ. This isn't a salvation issue that he's talked about here at all. This isn't a sin issue he's talked about here. This is a preference. These are ways to worship God that are acceptable either way to the Lord. And he makes, clear, makes that clear. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. In other words, I'm not supposed to look for faults in my brother or sister. I'm supposed to look for fruit. It's to be a blessing and look for that and see that in people. I know... Paul says, and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. That's a pretty bold statement. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. He's talking about conscience. I can't eat pork. That's just horrible. I can't eat pork. God says I'm not supposed to eat pork. Okay, don't eat pork. But, I mean, Scripture says it is clean. But if you feel convicted about that, I'm not going to jam a pork sandwich down your throat. Don't eat ham. I mean, I don't think anybody's missing anything if they eat chicken and beef. Go for it. The problem is when you point the finger at other people for eating pork. That's the difference. That's the change. So I don't put a stumbling block in it. Oh, you don't like... This is the kind of heart I have that God has to rebuke and constantly keep me in check. But you know how on, on on a Lent... When everybody eats fish on Fridays and stuff like that, I so want to have a like a burger fry here at the church, a che- cheeseburgers and all this stuff. And is that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? Talk about putting a stumbling block in some, you know, you can eat a fish fry over there, you can have steak over here, you choose, you know, both are meat. That's a whole other subject. My my heart behind it is absolutely wrong. I mean, I want to. Part of me wants to teach and show, God, it's not about Lent. There's no such thing. Lent isn't in the Bible. There's no scripture for that. But look, if you're doing it as unto the Lord, if you've decided you're going to eat fish on Fridays and that's something that you're doing for God and not for yourself or to make yourself look better, it's really just for the Lord, who am I to put a stumbling block as that beautiful searing steak smell floats across the city of Maryville, right? That's exactly what he's talking about. That's exactly what he's saying here. Don't do that to people. Leave them alone. 
Let him worship me. If I could hear God say that, would you let him worship me? That's convicting because I love my dad. I love my father in heaven. Well, I didn't mean to. It's, I was just poking my brother at the tables, what I was doing. I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. I was just giving them a hard time. But God says, I don't want you to do that. So we're not going to have the cheeseburger thing on Fridays. So, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Is that convicting? Or Well, maybe not for you, but for me it is. Now, of course, I didn't want to destroy them. That isn't the heart. I want to destroy false doctrine sometimes. I want to destroy man-made things that I think can get in the way of their worship of God, but he hasn't called me to that necessarily. Not in this case, anyway. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. In other words, you are free to have cheeseburgers on Friday, but you don't have to flaunt it. Don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Don't let the whole city be offended that you're having a cheeseburger fry over there during their fish fry and point and say, look at those heat. That's exactly what he doesn't want to take place. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as, e- as evil, be- uh, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Unity. Unity in the Spirit. Not unity for unity's sake, but unity in the Holy Spirit. And if I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When I'm walking in the Spirit, I don't want to have burger fries. You know, When I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm, I'm like Christ. For he who serves Christ in these things is, accept, is uh, um, in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. How do I build people up? Not how do I tear them down? We want to do that. We want to pursue peace. Do not dis- it doesn't mean you're going to get peace all the time. Not to be pessimistic here, but you pursue peace. Just like we pursue happiness in our country. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed. We have the pursuit of happiness, but it's not guaranteed. It's not a right. But you do have the right to pursue it. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine, nor to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever, he, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Ooh. He's talking about conscience. Simply that. I think that's wrong then you better not do it. Don't do it then. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Absolutely, then feel free. As long as as it doesn't contradict Scripture, and that's the key. You know, how do I know? How do I know? Does that mean everything's up in the air? I can do anything as long as I have a clear conscience about it so I can do that? As long as I don't think bad thoughts about it afterwards? 
or feel guilty. So I really just got to get rid of this guilt thing and I can do whatever I want to? No, that's not what he's saying. Sin is still sin. God still hates what he hates. He's called us to walk in, in submission to his authority, to his rule. So you can't just sin as long as you can get rid of the guilty conscience afterward. No, no, no. We still can't sin. Um, he's talking about these doubtful things, though. He's talking about these things that aren't called sin. They're things that we've made sin, perhaps, in our lives or in somebody else's life. So don't, don't cause each other to stumble. And that's where we close tonight. That's where we end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, Paul's heart here. He, he just wants a unified church. He just wants people to be worshiping you, filled with your spirit, always looking out for each other, not for themselves, always to be careful to walk in such a way where you can be talked about and worshiped and praised and no one's worried about what's on the table or what's going into the mouth. That our fellowship in you can be pure and that we don't do anything of this world that's doubtful to ruin that fellowship. And so God, help us to walk closely with you, to have your heart on these matters, to understand what you mean, to apply them to our lives, to have just a really clear, pure conscience on all these subjects that he talked about tonight, and help us to live that way. Help me to see where my brother or sister might stumble. Sometimes I don't know it. Sometimes we don't know we're stumbling them. We don't know we're making a mistake that or something that's offensive to them. Sometimes we don't, but if you give us eyes to see, if you fill us with your spirit, we know that you'll lead and guide us to walk in peace with our brother and sister, in unity, in your spirit. So God, help us to pay attention to that prompting. It may be legal, but it may not be right at that time. And so God, help us to listen to you and to obey you. We love you. We thank you for your word, your compassion, your heart for us, that you just want your sons and daughters to get along. And so God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.